true to form, we're going to start right at 1 o'clock with the question period. Before that, I will mention a few things. Uh, next week's topic is uh, the ATM, where everyone, can, everyone with a valid membership to SACPA can come for a free meal and voice your opinions and give us some critique, suggestions, all those kind of good things that ADMs are about. We will be sending out the, uh, and the uh, package to everyone ahead of time so you, can, so, you can, uh, so you don't have to rush to read it at the, at the ADM. But there will also be hard copy uh, ADM at the ADM, hard copies of the, all the reports and minutes from last year and all that kind of good stuff. So we'll be in the smaller room hoping to fill it up. Uh, so yeah, that's a freebie. Uh, other, if you don't have a membership, you can, you can still come and uh, pay your $14 for lunch and $2 for coffee. You, you're very welcome to come, whether you're a member or not. So without further ado, and I know Terry Lynn is still eating, but we, I have a feeling there's going to be lots of questions, so we better get started with the Q&A. Uh, please state your name, and uh, don't remember it's a question period. It's not a, you know, your own agenda kind of a thing, but uh, a little bit of a prelude to your question is okay. So with that, please come back up. What give Taylor a warm welcome. Testing, testing. Am I on? Thank you for your presentation, Taylin. Uh, My name is Terry Shillington. Um, I hear you um, feeling passionate about the term genocide, and you spent some time on it. And I was intrigued that the presenter of the report, whose name I've now forgotten, also was so determined to underline the word genocide. And and uh, I see it. I, I hear that with some sadness in that that word has now become a matter of great debate and semantic skill discussion and so on, whereas it strikes me that the heart of the report is around the recommendations around sexism and racism and so on that are in the concrete. And so if we, if we have debates about the language, that doesn't seem to get us anywhere when, when we really have to walk the walk and do some of the specific things recommended. So. I just, and I invite you to respond, but I hear with some sadness the determination to make this word genocide stick when other things seem more concrete. 
Okay, so um, thanks for the question. We have to remember um, that however many people in here, there's that many perspectives and that many realities. However, when we talk about genocide and all the, you know, the aftermath, especially in Canada, on Turtle Island, um, for Indigenous people. We did not do this to ourselves. We have to remember that. And, and maybe that's a sideline for academics, politicians, you know, analysts of various sorts to, to stay on, you know, how do we talk about it? We have to remember every, all the manifestations we are seeing, sexism, racism, those terms are man-made, they're not natural. Whatever isn't natural has created problems, has created grave atrocities, and genocide is one of them. So the extermination, the killing off of millions of people and I'm saying that quite boldly and bluntly here because I'm Indigenous. And if I don't do today what I can, then seven generations from now, I don't want those descendants to be saying they ought to have made changes seven generations ago. Because I not only want to honor my children and grandchildren and their children in turn. I wanna also do what I can to honor the seven generations that came before me and all their experiences and what they went through to do what they did so that I'm here today to talk about this issue. So if you wanna sidetrack and talk about genocide, you can but it's probably egoic. Ego drives many people to do crazy things. And once we are aware that we have an ego, we put it aside and we come to the table and we listen to the stories and we actually listen and hear what the person says and not interpret what I think it means, but I actually hear what you're telling me and I feel it. I can make decisions thereafter and move forward. So that's also one of the areas where if we want to talk about genocide, let's do it. Let's change it so that those tactics are never used again, ever. But to this day, those very effects affect all of us. So I hope I answered your question. There's no word in Blackfoot for genocide. And I'm looking at my, my elder and my mentor, Keith Chiefmoon here. And if there's a word in Blackfoot for genocide, then maybe it occurred thousands of years ago. But if there's no word in Blackfoot, or in Cree, or in Anishinaabe, or in any other indigenous language, it means it didn't exist. So genocide is an English term borrowed from other languages. 
to actually try and label and to figure out for hundreds of years what is happening to Indigenous people throughout the world. And if we want to keep looking at that, then we're, if we look at that, we have to look at all the reports when we look at genocide and when we talk about it. Maybe then we can move forward. So I'm not sure who's driving the force behind just that term, but maybe we have to listen to the families of the women and daughters and grandmothers that have been murdered and ask those individuals, what drove you to intentionally hurt that woman? And they might talk about the policies and they might talk about their own trauma that derives from genocidal tactics, that derives from being a robot of societies and of policies, because that very thing, genocide, drives our economy. We need it, we're a capitalist economy. And I don't know how many of you have really led a really awesome, amazing life, health, mental, physical, and emotional. But if Canadian society, if our statistics are such that we're, we're, we're dying of heart disease, which, you know, obesity, diabetes, these are preventable. So it's not just Indigenous people, it's all people that are affected by these very policies that drive the economy, that drive policy, that drive you and I. Next question. Avatanis, beneficiary of Treaty 7, I plead guilty to genocide. Thank you for your presentation. Presentation, and also that you stated that these reports are all similar. They come up with the same ideas, the same excuses, the same reason. But we only deal with the symptoms of the evil that lays on the land. It's the doctrine of discovery that has destroyed humanity. Until we rescind the doctrine of discovery, how can healing occur? Thank you. For going back to that document, <clears throat> I did not mention the doctrine of discovery in this presentation. And how many of you know what it is? It trickles into everything we do. And we don't even realize that. So, you've admitted, openly admitted to your guilt, and I forgive you. It takes courage to openly share that and say it, and I feel it, and the women feel it. Keith had said, 
we might want to talk about that today. And I, I thought about it. And there's a reason why I didn't talk about that document, because someone here is connected with his spirit now. And you're walking your walk as a human being. Wouldn't that be nice if we can all do that? Instead of being driven by, I got to get up at 6 a.m., oh yeah, and then I got to go to work, and then I pay taxes, and then I got to pay this and that, and do this and that, and that's really quite robotic. And you, you're a really great robot. But the documents all say that. So we can no longer not look to dismantling the doctrine of discovery. A great chief, Oren Lyons, and some very early chiefs and leaders with indigenous people um, have talked about it since the 70s, and it's been alluded to in certain documents but you have to go research those documents because it's not openly talked about because we're all part of either you benefit or you don't, depending on who you are and what you're willing to do, whether you're on this side or that side. And if we dismantle it, it means we're truly creating, rebuilding, adjust society for everyone and are you willing to do that are you willing to walk with us thank you for your presentation terry i wanted to make a little preamble before i talk because i i want to call us out all of us who are here you know, we live with so much comfort and we, you know, we bemoan the economy and everything, but everyone in this room lives in a high level of comfort. But part of our comfort is our ignorance and our lack of, uh, of uh, intestinal fortitude to, you know, advance this discussion meaningfully. This discussion has been going on since, you know, the 1900s and early, early 20th century, there was a Dr. Bryce who knew by looking and speaking truthfully about the conditions in, in, in residential schools, that residents, residents of those schools were being harmed in a genocidal way by the lack of hygiene, by the lack of proper nutrition, by the um, exposure to uh, disease. And he wrote a report and it was quashed and, and kept silent and we continued that disgusting policy until the late 80s and into 1996 when the last residential school was closed. We are responsible. There is plenty of information and I welcome this report but I feel that sadness around it that we have already, we have this information. We know how bankrupt morally so many of the um, systems we have, whether it be our 
criminal justice system or our child protection system, all of those which still to this day perpetuate criminally um, at a level of injustice against Indigenous people. So I want to call us all out to say enough and get, get informed and don't vote for people who want, who are in our Senate, their conservative majority is um, objecting to the uh, inclusion of the United Nations document on the rights of Indigenous people. Um, and it's a disgrace. It's an absolute disgrace. All and similarly, the, uh, the um, you know, our uh, leader of the opposition, Mr. Scheer, took up this obnoxious discussion about the use of the word genocide. Our MP for this riding is in his caucus, and it is shameful that in this day and age when a report is prepared by people who are commissioned by our government to express the truth this is the truth. If you can't use that word, you can't speak the truth. That's what I think. So I just call on everyone here, but also um, I'm faced almost every day with um, a lot of the circumstances of women who are harmed because of these issues. Uh, and my office is located just adjacent to the Lethbridge Public Library. And it is the biggest space in this city where men come to pick up women for sexual services and every day I see young women walking up and down the back alley and on that road 8th street right by the library getting picked up by men I don't understand what we could I don't know if you have any ideas but it just makes me so angry and I just want to go out and run and I don't know what I could do to help that one little woman and I always think is she going to come back is she going to get dropped off in this neighborhood after she does her service for him so she can, you know, um, survive in her sad way. I, I wanted to know what you think. Like, what can I do as an individual woman in the face of that every day? It's so disheartening to see it happening in our community. Thank you, Ingrid. Um, I appreciate your call, call out to everyone. Um, again, that that's bold and that also takes courage to put out that challenge. Um, but I'm gonna answer that in a couple of, in a twofold. So a long time ago, I was uh, seeing this healer and I was asking him about, um, you know, it, it, it hurts, it's, I'm saddened by so many, so many people who who use alcohol and overuse and they're they're in drunken states and I wasn't understanding that and as a first generation away from residential school I I know what it, alcohol can do to a family so this healer told me he said they're your teacher said, you look at those drunken people from your home, and they're good people. They were loved, and they were babies, and moms and dads loved them, and many of them were forcibly taken to a residential school, and many of them are my relatives. And he said, 
they don't get up in the morning and pay $2,000 for a mortgage. They don't have a $600 um, lease or, or um, financing payment to make. They're not worried about my utility bill. Who do I pay that to when water and you know all these other resources should be very minimal. So they're walking their walk the way they're going to walk. And they go, don't give a damn what the government is telling them how to live their life. So the same with young women. It is a ma manifestation and a direct result of genocide, of the doctrine of discovery. And so when we start today, when we are ready to heal and forgive each other, but especially ourselves, and let go of that guilt and actually say, I'm ready, I'm ready to do this, a lot of you will feel free. You won't feel that burden, but not many take, take that challenge. But for these women, you, we might think, because we're seeing that reality, we might think it's sad. It is. But to them, it's survival. And they'll do whatever it takes to survive. Just like those who are, are working skyscrapers. It's dangerous. It's risky. But they're going to do whatever it takes to survive. So it depends on the perspective we're using. And if, 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 we're, if we're saddened, good. You, you know you can reach down inside of you and you feel empathy. Sometimes we can't do anything but, but acknowledge. Other times we can, and collectively, we can. So what about that young woman? What is it that is creating a challenge? Again, living off reserve? What money does she have for a down payment for a home? What education does she have? Because maybe her parents attended residential schools and they didn't know how to parent and they were taken away from their mom and dad and they didn't receive that positive nurturance, that affective love that we all deserve from our moms. Thousands and thousands of kids were taken from their moms. And now we see that manifestation. And if it's ugly to non-Indigenous people, you're damn right it's ugly. We walk it every day. So again, are you ready to walk? Are you ready to take and learn and hear the stories? Are you, are you ready? Are you willing? Can you? Three more questions here yeah. lined up, so please choose the question. Thank you so much. My name is Barb Phillips for a very powerful presentation. We need to hear it, and yes, we need to walk it. I am a product of the Alberta education system, and I was not taught this history, and then I went on to be a teacher, and I was not teaching it because my textbooks did not have stories 
the truth about what happened with the residential schools. That aside, we have a current premier who refused to make land acknowledgements in the last month, has kind of passed the buck by saying, well, if you want to, fine, if not, which I think is quite reprehensible because of the fact that it's, it's just a first step. It's not gonna be the be all and end all of walking, talking the walk or walking the talk. Uh, I'd just like to know your feelings on this uh, the issue of land acknowledgements. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you for the question. I, I honor those who acknowledge the lands that you walk upon, and rightfully so, because if I was in Germany, if I was in Russia, I'm a visitor to that land. And so many of you, if you track your ancestry, you'll find that your traditional territory is not in southern Alberta. And so creating a different social construct and realizing that is a good thing. It's not, it's not a negative. That's a, that's a step towards reconciliation. And it is important to acknowledge the lands you walk upon. And I appreciate when that happens. Jason Kenny also took away some funding at my daughter's school. And her FNMI worker is no longer working there. And I'm going to openly talk about this because I'm a parent. And whoever voted him in, I'm sure they're ignorant as well. And, and we have to pray and honor that they will open their eyes and read and walk the walk with us. Because if we don't, we're, we may be talking about this five years from now. And enough talk. We've got to take action. Uh, thank you very much for your presentation, Terry. My name is Jerry Bronson. And uh, two months ago, I attended a half a day excuse me, blanket ceremony. And um, I don't know if any of you have attended one, but I think everyone should. And I was brought to tears several times hearing the true history of Canada. And um, I was so angry when I left there because, you know, we had this bogus information as teenagers in high school and we still don't know the truth about everything that went on. So... You know, my question is, how can we get everyone to do a blanket ceremony, and how do we get this into the school system quickly so they learn the true, the true history? Mm -hmm. Thank you. So it's a blanket exercise. It's actually not a ceremony. Um, and many of that exercise has facts put together by those who went to Indigenous people and verified that this was the true reality of Indigenous people. And it is sad, and it's hard, and I cried. But good, we're feeling. We're, we're not completely shut off from our emotions. And um, I think creating networks and connections and sharing that and lobbying for more and more and more and more and more not 2019 and 
our government is taking away more and more and more and more when we've tried to rebuild. So it's like taking, moving two steps forward, five steps back. So where's the progress there? My name is Maureen Hawkins. I also want to say thank you. I also acknowledge that I am a participant in genocide. Even though I am an immigrant to Canada, I live on Blackfoot land, I'm buying a house, and I'm not paying the Blackfoot for it. And I think that's wrong. Um, but to get to my question, one of the things the UN report emphasized, and you mentioned, is education. Now, I teach at the university, and so I get a number of, of um, indigenous students. Often, they are not well prepared. Um, I'm working on indigenizing my curriculum as, are, as is happening across the board in Alberta. Um, but what can we do to improve First Nations education to prepare them for university without denigrating First Nations knowledge? How can we integrate both? And what can we as citizens do about, I know what I can do in my class, but what can we do for the entire educational system for the First Nations? We have a responsibility. Thank you. Um, I feel like I'm campaigning. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, so indigenizing the curriculum and preparing First Nations for um, academic institutions, um, theory and writing. So you have to understand that where we're at today is seven generations of the government interference into our traditional ways of knowing and being and doing. So young people today are, I'm gonna use Leroy Little Bear's term, uh, they're walking this jagged worldview, and I'm part of that as well, and I'm trying to do my best to come home and really align myself with Blackfoot ways. As well as walking that jagged worldview, there's a lot of trauma underlying um, people's experiences and how you feel at any given moment. And I know education is a tool that we can use to, to have a good life, but it's not the only tool. I think education now could possibly target and focus in on um, undoing taking off the layers of trauma, taking off the layers of genocide, creating that, that safe space for those students to, to then appreciate what they're learning in a classroom setting. And I'm sure you, you might have heard this from elders or um, you know, recent documents written by Indigenous people. Our classroom was not a four-walled classroom. It was a teepee, it was learning on the land, learning how animal behavior, talking and sitting with elders, listening to our origin stories and those teachings of um, not be trickster. So we have to understand there's no immediate solution. But if you walk with us, we will tell you how to best prepare students and how to move forward 
with our voice, with our ways, so that we can then freely walk our be walk, our be walk, and not feel like we're a foreign a foreigner in our homeland. Thank you.